This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westrom, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Well, Tom, I would say I'm exhausted, but that would honestly feel insensitive to the multiple players that played 50-plus minutes tonight. So uh, I don't know. Those players have to post a buzzer recap, though. (laughs) I am exhausted. (laughs) That was a doozy all around. I mean, so the Raptors beat the Celtics 125-122, double overtime game. We're going to a game seven. What's, like, the the primary thing you're going to remember? I mean, to be honest, like, I feel like my mental acuity is already declining from being in isolation for the past however many months. And on top of that, like, just this game was so insane that it's kind of hard to remember what happened in, like, the last 15 minutes. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to start with, like, there are a lot of points of controversy in this game. Like, not just the officiating, like, Kemba's offense, Jalen Brown taking, like, 30 shots. So I, I figured we could maybe, like, go through, like, sort of these, like, contentious points of the game and just sort of weigh in on our thoughts. So let's start like on the lower end of the spectrum and then I guess move up Kemba's offense. He had a pretty quiet night stat wise, two for 11, scored only five points, played 51 minutes, one of six from three, had seven assists and three turnovers. A lot of people are saying Kemba's got to do more. Kemba's got to do more. Like, why aren't the Celtics playing through Kemba? And Brad, after the game, was like, well, it's because the Raptors brought out this box and one and were basically, like, taking him out of the game, which produced other looks for the Celtics from, like, the corner three and things like that. I guess, what was your take on Kemba's production and sort of the commentary that followed? Yeah, I mean, the box and one thing is, like, it's real. They paid a ton of attention to him. They wanted to take him out of it. I think the biggest problem is when Kemba is struggling, the Celtics really need Jason Tatum to kind of pick up the slack. And he didn't really do that tonight. I mean, he had, you know, his final stats were okay, given that it was a 53-minute game or whatever. Uh, no, excuse me, it would have been, what, a 58-minute game. I think it was more the fact that it was the tandem of the two things that that really hurt them tonight. Like, yes, Kemba needs to be a little bit better, but also, like, if they're throwing a box and one at him, like, your other guys need to be able to take advantage. And, like, I thought that some of the other guys did. Like, Jalen Brown was really good in the first quarter. 
we saw Grant Williams make a couple corner threes. Like Marcus Smart made a bunch of threes in the first quarter too. Like the Celtics had some guys who took advantage. I think the biggest problem was just that Jason Tatum had a pretty inefficient night on a night when the Celtics really needed either one of him or Kemba to kind of go off and to kind of have a big night. And, and neither of them really did. Yeah, and I guess that's sort of another example of the Celtics missing Gordon Hayward, just to have that 100%. other option to either facilitate or to be the one that's scoring. If they end up losing Game 7, Celtics fans are going to really look back and, and just mourn the absence of, of Gordon Hayward because, like, the Raptors have really hurt them with zones kind of all throughout this series. Gordon Hayward is the perfect zone breaker. He can hit from any, literally any level. He can facilitate. He is kind of the perfect player. Uh, against those types of defenses. So, yeah. All right. So just running through them, Jalen Brown attempting 30 shots. He took the most shots out of everyone on the team by far. It was a career-high field goal attempts for him. He scored 31 on 30 shots. Had some big buckets, 4 of 13 from 3. Perfect from the line, including some clutch free throws. Also had 16 rebounds. A number of fans were sort of lamenting Jalen Brown taking the most number of shots on the offense and him taking 30 shots with this team is just too many and that's not an efficient way for the Celtics to operate. What are your thoughts on that? Mostly disagree, but I will say this was a rock fight. This was a really, really hard game to score. Like both teams' defense was really good. So, I mean, yes, like Jalen wasn't the most efficient, but I mean, I thought for the most part, I didn't really have a a ton of problem with his offense. The times that I did think that he maybe should have tried to do something else in the fourth quarter and both overtime periods, I thought the Celtics were getting great looks literally every time they forced the Jason Tatum, Fred Van Vliet switch. They kept trying to run that. It was one of those times where you could tell that Brad was just doing his like finger twirling in the air, like run it again, run it again, run it again. And every time they did, they got something good, whether it was Tatum himself, whether it was somebody else when the defense overreacted to Van Vliet guarding Tatum. You know, Tatum passed to Tice a couple of times for easy dunks, and those came pretty much because of that Van Vliet switch. A couple of times during that stretch, Jalen kind of freelanced, and I think he had like one turnover where he tried to post up Lowry. He had another in transition where I just kind of thought that the Celtics didn't need to go that fast. They need, they could have pulled it back and let Tatum work against Van Vliet again. I thought that Jalen tried to do a little bit too much. But on the other hand, like Jalen is the second or third best player on this team. The, the two players that are either the first and the second or the first and the third best players on the team were both struggling. I don't really have a huge problem with, with one of their star players trying to make plays. For three quarters, I thought Jalen was great. So that's kind of where I stood on that. Yeah, I agree. I think if you listen to any of Jalen Brown's press conferences, basically in every single one, if you ask him what he was trying to do, he'll say, be aggressive. Just trying to stay aggressive. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's what he was trying to do. And like, if you're drawing up the, I guess, I don't know if quintessential is the word I'm looking for here, but if you're trying to draw up like maybe the standard Celtics game, yeah, Jalen Brown's not taking 30 shots. That's not what you want. You probably want Tatum to be the volume shooter in this, in that instance. But I think given the circumstances here, you have to be okay with it. The topic that obviously everybody has been sort of buzzing about since I guess maybe the end of regulation, the officiating, sort of what are your initial thoughts on how it all went down? So I thought the refs missed a few tough calls that like hurt the Celtics. Like I I thought that Kemba pretty clearly got fouled at the end of regulation. I think that the officials cost the Celtics some real opportunities to win this game. 
I know that these referees are, are professionals and they need to try to get it right as much as possible, but I have a hard time like really going in on the officials. Like it's a, it's a really hard job. Do I think they cost the Celtics? Like, I kind of think so. Like, I kind of think that some of those calls were, you know, that they, they did kind of affect the outcome. The Celtics certainly had chances to win without. I always have a hard time getting worked up over the officiating. I thought that there was some reason to complain tonight. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to end up taking sort of the devil's advocate role and sort of, for like the sake of argument, point out a few other things. So at the end of regulation as well, when the Raptors had a chance with 2.6 seconds and they inbound the ball to Ananobi, who's basically going up for an alley-oop and Tatum gets whistled for the foul, I think a lot of people thought Ananobi would be going to the line with a chance to win it. And they said it was non-shooting foul. Celtics had a foul to give, so they inbounded the ball again. That was a weird one. Did we get an explanation on why that wasn't a shooting foul? Because I missed it if it was on the broadcast. There was no explanation. Okay, yeah, that was a weird one for sure. So that that looked like it should have been a shooting foul. And honestly, to the ref's credit, credit's the wrong word. May, I mean, maybe that was a makeup call for not calling the foul on Kemba. Like, I, I mean, that's I think that's possible. Even if it wasn't a shooting foul, another thing that sort of caught the attention was the fact that so much time had come off the clock. So they had inbounded the ball with 2.6 seconds, and then when they took to inbound the ball again after Tatum's foul, there was only 0.9 seconds on the clock, which to some that seemed like a lot. And generally, I feel like the refs are pretty meticulous with the clock within that such a short time span. So I think that there were technically calls that benefit. That one feels like splitting hairs a little bit, though. I think there were just things that benefited both teams. And at the end of the day, this is the classic like refs apologist. It shouldn't come down to this, basically. Everything looks obvious on the replay and in slow motion. And they're trying to call this in real time. And yes, they do have access to the replay review for certain calls and challenges. And I am amused by the fact that basically after like any questionable call, the players always just like whipping their finger for the coach to challenge, even like in the first quarter. But I think like when you have two teams that are so physical, like the Celtics and the Raptors, and that really play this like pesky level of defense, it is difficult. And they're not watching from like a broadcast view. They're like on the court with the players and like, it's hard for them to, it's two overtimes. Like the players looked gassed. I'm sure the refs were gassed too. Like I hate turning to officiating as the reason for an outcome when it's not like one singular moment, if that makes sense. Like, look, Fans can't complain when the final few seconds of a game are super whistle happy and then also complain when refs kind of let them play a little bit down the stretch. Like I, you, you can't, you can't have it both ways. And I firmly lean toward the side of like, let them play. It just makes it a better product rather than trying to whistle everything all the time. I do think that the Celtics have some case here. Not, not a case in like, oh, the game was like rigged against them and the officials were trying to get it to a game seven. Just a case in like, I think there were some bad calls that really benefited the Raptors down the stretch. It's kind of crying over spilled milk at some point. I mean, the last two minute report should be interesting. And I almost kind of think that like, it'll be more worth talking about this stuff after the last two minutes report. The last two minute report will be a, will be a doozy tomorrow. Either way, sure. even if it's not a doozy, even if there's like nothing on it, that will also make it a doozy-ish last two minutes report. So I'm pretty sure the last time I said that, I forget which game it was, but the last time I said like, oh, the last two minute report should be interesting tomorrow, it was clear. 
all the calls yeah. were correct. Right, yeah. So, But the Celtics won that game, so uh, everybody was pretty happy, I think. We'll see what happens. I think of the calls, that Kemba layup definitely looked like he got fouled, but I also think on the very next play, OG Ananobi did get fouled, and it should have been shooting. I think the call that everyone, or the, the non-call that everyone's talking about is Nick Nurse standing, like, in the corner on the baseline, sort of on the court, I think. If he's on the court, it's just barely. Like, it's not that obvious, but he's definitely out of place. So I have a lot of problems with kind of how Nick Nurse comported himself on that play. Like, you can't be there. Like, Jason Tatum threw the pass directly at Nick Nurse instead of Daniel Tice. And I don't know. I mean, Nick Nurse was wearing completely different color clothes. Like, I I don't totally know what Tatum saw there, if he just saw, like, movement. So, again, I'm going to take the role of the sort of devil's advocate Nick Nurse defender. First of all, yes, it definitely should have been a technical foul. One, I think the refs just weren't paying attention because why would they be looking to the coach's sideline as, like, live basketballs happening? You could argue that when Tatum turned the ball over and the ball went out of bounds, they'd be like, oh, Nick Nurse is standing there. But at that point, it's like, are you going to call a replay? You know what I mean? Like, you just don't know how that came together. So I guess Well, yeah, I think think at that point you call a replay because you could. Okay, if they if they do have the capability of doing that in that instance, then that makes sense. I didn't they know should, that they would should have around. they should have done exactly that. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so I get them missing the initial call because again, why would they be looking at the sideline? For sure. Once they notice Nick Nurse is standing there, okay, then yes, they should have called a replay, and then he should have been called for a technical. I definitely think that that is the case. In regard to Nick Nurse doing that, I guess my argument is sometimes you get so. You just get so involved in something you don't exact, you don't really realize what you're doing. My former colleague Chris Gasper mentioned on Twitter, Nick Nurse is wearing a black shirt. The Celtics are wearing bright green. Nick Nurse is squatting. Yeah, maybe out of his peripheral vision did he see something, but I, like Chris Gasper, sort of attribute this more to like just mental fatigue on Tatum and like Tice was there, was over there. Like it's not like there was nobody over there and he was like, oh, I see a body. Like, yeah. I know, like, this take is unpopular, but that's just something you move on from. I think people are harping on this way too much. People are only mad also because, like, Tatum turned the ball over. Like, nobody would have noticed if, like, Tatum drove to the hoop. Like, the fact that he was there was wildly unprofessional. Like, to just be on the court there. Like, I don't think you can totally write it off as just, like, like like an accident because he had to go so far out of the area that he's allowed to be in. So what I'll say to him being out of position is I think that this would only happen in the bubble because there are no fans. It's a much more open space. It's not as tight on the sideline. So he's able to sort of roam more freely. And I'm not saying that excuses it, but I'm just saying I think it's not that difficult for him to get over there because the space is so open that if you just start walking and you're dialed in on the play, you can sort of make your way down there. I think that it was unprofessional of Nick Nurse, and I don't think that he has earned the benefit of the doubt. I am not here for the Nick Nurse slander. I am not here for the Kyle Lowry slander, especially when it comes to Kyle Lowry. Like, you literally have Marcus Smart on your team. I think any Raptors fan who complains about Smart and any Celtics fan who complains about Lowry like needs to take a real hard <laughs> look in the mirror because when Kyle Lowry and Marcus Smart look in the mirror, they see each other. So, yeah, anybody who's got a problem with Kyle Lowry at this point, like, that dude is a champ, both in the literal and figurative sense. He is a champion because, like, I honestly, the Raptors should have lost tonight's game. The Celtics had them on the ropes so many times. It was Kyle Lowry who 
who won them that game. He was awesome. It was incredible. And that, that mid-range jumper he had falling down. Filthy. The, completely filth. The strip of... when Jaylen. Yeah, when Jalen was trying to post him up, he had five fouls on that possession, too. Yeah. He played 53 minutes, so sat for five minutes. That was the one benefit of the game five loss is that he finally got to rest because he's just been logging, like, insane minutes. I thought Lowry was great. He was excellent. Did you want to go over some other quick hitter stuff? Uh, Yeah. So the Raptors went small. They basically yep. rode their small lineup through all the important parts of the game, which judging by how that's worked in the previous games, you would think it would have gone disastrously. It worked out a lot better, I think, than expected, putting OG and Anobi at the five. My question after that was, like, Robert Williams maybe could have been an option there. I doubt Brad would ever put Rob in just in these types of moments. Part of me was thinking that he would be a possible solution against that super small lineup because they can just sort of lob the ball to him, and I really don't see how they match up defensively, and Serge Ibaka isn't on the floor to just, like, school him offensively. The problem with that is just that, like, with that super small lineup, they've got more people who can run pick and rolls, and Rob has just had so much trouble with that in this series. I think there's a chance that Rob gets a DNP CD in Game 7. Like, I have not, I do not think he has had a good series. Certainly not the series that everybody was hoping to see. I mean, so would you agree that offensively, though, he has looked good and in rhythm and okay, but it's more of he's a defensive liability? Or yeah, what? yeah. I think that I think that's most of it. I mean, for every two points that Rob might get you on the offensive end from a lob or whatever, you're going to be giving up something on the defensive end. And uh, I think in those small lineups, you'll be giving up even more. And you're even more likely in those small lineups to be giving up three, which is problematic. I guess ultimately that's – we've alluded to this multiple times – you hope Rob grows into that role, though, because yeah. that would be the ideal, I think, is to have Rob in those lineups. But that's secondary to this is the ideal moment for the Celtics to have their best five. So yet yeah. again, another example of why they miss Gordon Hayward. I think if the Celtics had Gordon Hayward, I don't even – I would question whether the Raptors would utilize this lineup because the Celtics have such a – Right. Wrong answer to it. So. Yeah. You would just be inviting them to put all five of their best players on the court at the same time. Like that's exactly. Not what you want. I would agree. Point that I had, uh, I was looking up some stats in the playoffs. The Raptors are 15 points per 100 possessions worse with Pascal Siakam on the court, which is like catastrophic. They are 15.8 points per 100 possessions better with Kyle Lowry on the court, which is elite. So. Uh, if you want uh, pretty much a perfect summation of the Toronto Raptors in this series, it is that with Pascal, they have just been a dumpster fire. Kyle Lowry helps a whole lot, and uh, in fact, more than makes up the difference of uh, Siakam's struggles. He had another tough game tonight. And just like, even when he, like the Celtics had a defensive breakdown, I think in the first overtime, and he smartly took advantage of it, drove to the basket, even on that, like, gimme layup, it just rolled around the rim and then fell out. Like, he yep. just can't get anything. And another thing is, like, all his shots are short. I feel like they all bounce off, like, the front of the rim. I don't know if that means anything, but that's just, I think, something that I've seen. And what's weird to me is that, like, like Jalen is playing good defense on him, but he is both taller and longer than Jalen, and I don't totally get why he can't just put it in, dude. Like, what are you doing? 
So, and the wild part is, is like, I think there were moments where it looked like he did that, yet it still missed. It just missed, right? He did have, I think he did have in overtime a, a pretty important, um, like a mid-range jumper or something like mm-hmm. that that actually went in. <laughs> but one of, one of his five of 19 field goals that he made. 12 points on 19 shots. <laughs> That's just brutal. A couple other points I had. Grant Williams, now seven for 10 in the playoffs from three-point range. Pretty good. He's looking more comfortable. Like I think, I think you can really see the, the blueprints for what the Celtics are hoping to see from him next year. I also, this is completely anecdotal, but I feel like his release is getting a little faster too. Yeah, I could believe that. They're working on it really hard. Going back to how great Kyle Lowry was slash is, I was shocked that at the end of the first overtime, Nick Nurse's play was just 19.6 seconds of Norm Powell ISO. Like, yeah. I get if that ends up being sort of your desperation option if things break down, but, like, nope, Norm just had the ball for all 19.6 seconds. And it was really funny because if the Raptors had lost that game, I feel like there would have been a lot of hand-wringing about Norm Powell, but instead he stripped Jason Tatum on, like, a drive, took it the other way, had, like, a layup plus the foul, um, hit a huge three to tie the game. Like That three was funny because – Kemba is a, a very good defender, especially for his size and at point guard. And he tries really hard, but he was sort of overhelping a bit too much, it looked like. And Brad noticed on the sideline for sure. Yeah. And after Norman Powell made that open three, Kemba was like in the paint involved. And Brad just threw up his hands like WTF, like what are you guys doing? Yeah. Kemba helped like one pass away, which you just, you don't do. Multiple huge Norm Powell threes. One of them was not his uh, attempt at the end of regulation because that was, that was just <laughs> yeah. a brutal basketball play. That pretty much exhausts everything I have to talk about. Do you have anything else? One last OG Ananobi appreciation. When they went to the small ball lineup, he also won three jump balls. I don't understand why they didn't have Tice jumping the jump balls. Like, Tice has jumped a million jump balls in his career. Just let him fucking do it. Tice is only, like, 6'9 or whatever, but he's taller than OG Ananobi. No, exactly. It seems like a very clear choice. So, anyway, that is impressive by OG to gut that out when you have that lineup. Anyway, that's all. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you, everybody who listened. Feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter. Feel free to leave us a review, and we will talk to you all soon. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.